Hello again, this is Anthony Day, and this is the Sustainable Futures Report for Friday the 5th of May. The badges have arrived, and will be in the post to all my patrons this week. In fact, you should have received them by the time you hear this. Since they've only just arrived, I've extended the special offer until the end of May. That means that Foundation supporters signing up this month will also get a badge. Go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, dot com slash S-F-R. Welcome to Imogen Littlejohns, my first gold patron. In addition to this shout-out and the Sustainable Futures badge, I'll give priority to Imogen's suggestions for topics to cover in future reports. We'll also be setting up an online discussion with me, Imogen and other gold patrons. That'll be on Skype or similar, and will take place every month with the first in the second half of May. Thanks, Imogen, for your support. And thanks, too, to all my other patrons, especially those in Denmark. In this week's report, can you get a discount if you take your own cup to a coffee shop? Are batteries the investment of the future? I'll tell you about my smart meter about electric cars in India, and about the implications of tellurium supplies for solar panels. The RHS comments on the effect of climate change on gardens. Will we soon be drinking genetically modified tea? The High Court has ruled against the government once more on air pollution. The Marine Conservation Society issues a plastic challenge, and plastic waste could be coming to a road near you. President Trump will shortly set out his climate policy. All this and not a word about the British parliamentary election. Links, as always, on the blog at anthonyday.blogspot.com. First, Professor Stephen Hawking challenges the world to colonise distant planets within the next hundred years if it wants to survive. He foresees threats from nuclear war, genetically engineered viruses and global warming, as well as from asteroid strikes and overpopulation. It's easy to dismiss this as hype for his new television series with the BBC, but I, for one, will be watching to see the case that he makes for all this. Of course, if we're leaving this planet because we've trashed it, what guarantee is there that we'll take care of a new one? And who will be allowed to go? No doubt the meek will inherit the Earth, while the wealthy jet off to another world. I'm afraid I can see people even now saying, oh, well, we've got a hundred years, what's the problem? The problem is that humanity normally only reacts to immediate threats, and by the time the threat of planetary disaster becomes immediate, it'll be far too late to do anything. And now, having cheered you all up, let's come back to Earth. Have a cup of coffee. Oh dear, an estimated two and a half billion paper coffee cups are thrown away in Britain each year, most of which are not recycled. Now, Pret-a-Manger and Paul are offering discounts to customers who bring their own cups, although a Virgin Trains passenger was recently banned from using his own mug when he ordered a coffee, as Stewart told him that using his own reusable cup was a health and safety issue. Starbucks and Costa give a cash discount, and Café Nero gives customers double reward card stamps for using their own cup. 
Starbucks started with a 50 pence discount last year but have pulled it back to 25 pence, although they also sell a reusable cup for a pound. Still only about one in 400 cups is recycled, partly because these cups include a plastic membrane which makes them difficult to process. Nescafe has had bad press for its Azera coffee-to-go range. It's come under fire from customers and been dropped by the super supermarket chain Morrison's. It uses the same cups as the major coffee shop chains, which include this plastic coating that means they can't be recycled along with paper waste. Company insiders have now revealed that Nestle plans trials on cups that can be recycled either as paper or as plastic. Nescafe said it was determined to find a solution to the cup recycling problem. What about a container that you can reuse? Still on plastic, tennis star Sir Andy Murray has recently invested in Mac Rebour, Virgin Media Business Voom Startup Award winner 2016. Their product is MR6. It uses waste plastic for surfacing roads. According to their website, MR6 is a conglomeration of carefully selected polymers specifically designed to improve the strength and durability of asphalt whilst reducing the quantity of bitumen required in the mix. It is made from 100% waste materials and can be used in the making of hot and warm mix asphalts. MR6 is a truly unique way of enhancing asphalt to give a cost-effective and longer-lasting asphalt solution. Well, if waste plastic can be used in this way, it reduces the need for other raw materials and it reduces what's sent to landfill. That's a win-win. The Marine Conservation Society's Plastic Challenge will run for the whole of June. Individuals and school groups and probably businesses as well are challenged to avoid single-use plastics throughout the month. That means no plastic cups, plastic bags, bubble-packed goods like batteries, or chocolates in plastic trays. How will we bring home fruit and veg from the supermarket? Pre-packaged meat or ready meals? My copy of Private Eye magazine comes in a plastic wrapper and so does the Environmentalist magazine. I get three or four other titles like that each month as well. And have you noticed how much junk mail comes in plastic now? It's going to be a hard challenge. Are you up for it? If you join the MCS, the Marine Conservation Society, today, your welcome pack includes a reusable keep cup for your coffee and a fill-and-go active water bottle from Brighter, which incorporates a filter. And, of course, is also reusable. Have you seen those television commercials urging you to get a smart meter so that you can get your electricity and gas consumption under control? We thought we ought to do this, so we asked our energy company to send someone round. I'll tell you what happened in a minute. The UK government's plan, now looking increasingly ambitious, is that by the end of 2020, around 53 million smart meters will be fitted in more than 30 million homes and businesses. The predicted cost is around £200 for each meter replaced, that's more than £400 for many households, a sum borne by consumers through increased bills. The total cost of 11 
billion pounds. Once installed, an energy supplier can read a meter remotely via the mobile phone network. Householders also receive a digital display that shows exactly how much power they're consuming and its cost in real time. The idea is that when faced with their consumption, consumers will be more likely to switch off lights or electrical items that are on standby or to adopt energy-saving measures. As a result, they will be nudged into cutting their overall consumption. Though early figures show cuts are surprisingly low. Reductions are as little as 3%, which is similar to the experience in the United States. Some doubts have been raised about the smart meter program. For example, since the whole thing operates on a wireless network, there could be a risk that they could be hacked. Some people are worried that meters will not be accurate, and in fact false readings may have affected 750,000 households in the Netherlands. In the UK, there's a problem with switching suppliers or just with switching tariffs. This is beyond the capability of first-generation SMET1 meters. If the user changes suppliers, the smart function is lost and the meter has to be read manually as before. Second-generation SMET2 meters will handle this and are beginning to be rolled out. Will the 3 million SMET1s already installed have to be replaced? The SMET2 meters allow consumers to change tariff hour by hour, so at times of peak demand and high cost, they can turn off the oven and the tumble dryer and so on. When there's a surplus of energy, when it's very windy or sunny, for example, they can choose cheap energy for their major usage. All this depends, of course, on the consumer being present, reading the meter and making a decision to switch on or off. The next stage must surely be to integrate the smart meter with smart appliances. Freezers can be turned off for several hours without a problem, but if they could be turned off for only five or ten minutes at times of peak demand, the effect of this on a national scale would smooth consumption, making the grid easier to manage and minimising the use of standby power stations. An, inter an interactive smart meter, which could communicate with freezers, ovens, washing machines and other heavy users of electricity, could achieve this demand management automatically. As far as I know, this is beyond the capability of SMET 2. Is there a SMET 3 on the horizon? Will all the other meters have to be replaced? And will this cost another £11 billion, pounds, or significantly more? Oh, and what happened to our smart meter? Well, a very nice man came and took out the electricity meter and put in a smart electricity meter. This communicates with a smart gas meter wirelessly, and the data is sent back to the energy company for billing. When our installer got to the gas meter, and fortunately before he'd actually plumbed it in, he pressed the button on it to communicate with the electricity meter, and the communication failed. He was surprised because he said he'd completed successful installations where the two meters were much further apart than ours, but he just couldn't make it work. He took the new smart meter out and put back a traditional meter. When I read it today, I found that it's counting up from zero, so I hope he took a note of the reading of the one that he took out. He said that some research was going on into improving the HAN, which is the home area network, and there might be something which would work in our house later in the year. We should ring again in September. But for the moment, our meters 
are as dumb as anybody else's. Batteries continue to make news. Electricity storage, whether in batteries or by other means, is crucial to the success of renewables by smoothing out the intermittent supply. Investment advisors are recommending that clients should put their money in batteries as demand is bound to increase. For example, India announced this week that it was moving to electric cars with the objective of banning the sale of petrol and diesel vehicles altogether by 2030. This will lower the cost of importing fuel and lower costs for running vehicles, as well as addressing the 2.3 million annual fatalities caused by bad air quality. Given that some 50% of the cost of a Tesla car is accounted for by the cost of the batteries, the value of the market will be enormous. And of course it's a global market. India is by no means alone in planning an electric future. Investing in batteries is a gamble nevertheless. The imperative is to balance cost against bulk and power capacity. Researchers are examining a range of different materials to improve on the batteries we already have. The winners will be those that back the right technology. Remember, energy storage is not just about batteries. Pumped storage schemes and flywheels can be used to store surplus electricity and regenerate it when required. The gravity train, which I mentioned a while ago, does much the same thing by powering up a gradient and generating electricity as it coasts down. The Drake Landing Solar Community, which I've also reported on, doesn't involve electricity at all. Its solar panels heat water, which transfers the heat to an underground store through pipes in boreholes into the earth. The core temperature is currently 52 degrees centigrade, and the store typically provides some 98% of the space heating required by the community's 52 homes throughout the Canadian winter. Electricity is everywhere and needed by everyone. If we're not going to generate it with fossil fuels, the main alternatives are wind and solar power. Cadmium telluride is one of the second-generation thin-film solar cell technologies. It's far better at absorbing light than silicon, so its absorbing layer can be thinner. Like many materials needed for renewable energy and electric technologies, tellurium is a rare mineral, according to the BBC. Now the BBC reports that there's an undersea mountain 300 miles off the Canaries in the Atlantic that contains prodigious amounts of tellurium. The dilemma, therefore, is whether to leave it there or to risk serious environmental damage from undersea mining. John Major of Liverpool University, writing in Eco Business, comes to the conclusion that we have no choice but to mine. However, Tim Wastel, writing in Forbes magazine, claims that the significance of the find is exaggerated. He says there's no current shortage of tellurium, it's a common byproduct of refining copper, and at around $30 to $50 a kilo, it's not really expensive. He says it's not a rare earth metal, as the BBC suggests, nor is it used in wind turbines, as it reports. I recommend you read Wurstel's article because he appears to demolish the argument and takes apart the economic analysis most skillfully. Read them both and make up your own mind. Links at anthonyday.blogspot.com
Gardening in a Changing Climate is the title of a new report from the Royal Horticultural Society, the RHS. Since the 2002 publication of the RHS report looking at the impact of climate change on gardening, gardening in a global greenhouse, the global climate has undergone dramatic change with 2016 proving to be the warmest year on record. Today, confidence in global climate models has increased and we now know that extreme weather events are the most likely conditions to be experienced by the UK. The impact of these events, such as flash flooding and periods of drought, is likely to be compounded by increased housing pressure, meaning that gardens will become more critical in providing services formerly delivered by the natural environment. Services such as flood alleviation, carbon sequestration and the provision of habitats for wildlife that will be lost to development. The report describes how each region of the UK will be affected by the changing climate. Read it at rhs.org.uk Moving from gardens to horticulture, the production of the world's favourite drink, yes that's tea, is under pressure. In China, there's a shortage of labour to pick the tea. In Sri Lanka, bad weather has seriously affected the crop and lack of investment hasn't helped. Many of the bushes are over 80 years old, but small farmers don't want to replace them because it takes four years for a new bush to start producing harvestable leaves. Another problem is the lack of an acceptable herbicide to keep the tea plants free of weeds. Chemicals used in some parts of China means that tea from those tea gardens is banned from export to the EU and other countries. Scientists are already sequencing the genome of tea, so GMT and coffee could, not, could be not far off. That's a debate for another day. Climate change is, of course, something that doesn't happen in the United States. The Los Angeles Times reports that climate change has been removed from the menu of environmental topics accessible from the Environmental Protection Agency's home page. The website page for climate change impacts now displays a message stating the page is being updated, as does a link to the main EPA climate change website. Thank you for your interest in this topic, it says. We are currently updating our website to reflect EPA's priorities under the leadership of President Trump and Administrator Proit. Foreignpolicy.com reports that climate action also deserves attention from those evaluating the administration's nascent foreign policy. On April the 29th, the 100th day of the administration, Approximately 200,000 people in Washington, D.C. and tens of thousands more in other cities marched to put pressure on the Trump White House to get serious about climate change. But they were also marching in part about foreign policy. It goes on. The Trump administration's approach to science generally and to climate change in particular has the makings of a foreign policy disaster. Environmental policy is one of the areas where domestic and foreign policy converge. Not just because the policies we institute at home have direct impact on citizens of other countries, in addition to our own present and future economy and health. And not just because the Pentagon, including Secretary of Defence James Mattis, 
regards climate change as a security threat. It's also because climate change is an example par excellence of an international collective action problem that can only be effectively addressed through multinational and likely multilateral cooperation. And when US credibility to lead the world in solving problems that demand cooperation and cannot be solved by the kind of episodic transactions or deal-making that Trump fancies himself good at is damaged, America loses. According to the Washington Post, foes of the Paris Climate Agreement have gained the upper hand in the ongoing White House debate over whether the US should pull out of the historic pact according to participants in the discussions and those briefed on the deliberations, although President Trump has yet to make a final decision. But President Donald Trump may pull the United States out of the Paris Agreement on climate change as early as next week, sources with knowledge of the plans told the Huffington Post on Tuesday. Watch this space. And finally, you'll remember that just after last week's report the High Court was due to rule on whether the government had to publish its clean air strategy or whether it could hold it back until after the election. We now know that the court ruled that it should be published immediately, or at least immediately after the local elections taking place in the UK on Thursday the 3rd of May. So in next Friday's report, we may learn what measures the government intends to take. Diesel scrappage to encourage consumers to give up old and dirty diesel cars? More toxicity charges to penalise cars driving into urban centres? Well, we'll just have to wait and see. That's it for another week. I'm Anthony Day. That was the Sustainable Futures Report. And thank you for listening wherever in the world you are. Remember that links to all my sources are at anthonyday.blogspot.com. And don't forget your unique enamel badge. It's yours if you sign up at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash S-F-R. And that really is it. Enjoy your weekend. Bye for now. Music